Welcome to Getting Curious. I'm Jonathan Van Ness, and every week I sit down for a cute little 30-minute conversation with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that makes me curious. This week, I'm curious about parental alienation syndrome. So I'm talking with writer, researcher, and developmental psychologist, Dr. Amy Baker. Welcome to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Vaness, and this week we're going to be talking about a very interesting subject. It is parental alienation syndrome with Dr. Amy Baker. Welcome. Hi, it's great to be here. You know, so I think this is a very interesting subject. You know, it affects a lot of people. My parents divorced when I was five. I have to say, I'm like very lucky. My mom and dad did like very good not doing this unless they did it like subtly and I like didn't even realize it or something. But they really went out of their way to, like, be friends, like, co-parent. Like, even at the point, like, my dad, when my mom and stepdad would, like, go on vacation, he would, like, come stay at our house and even sleep in their bed so that we wouldn't have to, like, go over there because it was, like, you know, like, sleep in their bed, you know? Because, like, it was, like, too annoying to, like, go all the way over, like, to the other side of town sometimes. So they they engaged in what we call advanced (gasps) co-parenting. Advanced co-parenting? I love that term. Good job, Mom and Dad. Yeah, really. Kudos to them. It's really good. Uh, It sounds like they really understood that you kids needed to love and be loved by both parents. And that is something that a lot of parents just don't get. They really did. And, like, I did this one podcast with this doctor named uh, Dr. Santakin, who I love. And he invented, like, pact therapy, which is, like, well, I think he invented it. Or he's, like, really into it. One of the two. But it's, like, the psychobiological approach to couples therapy. And he talks a lot about, like, you know, trying to create, like, a secure functioning relationship. And I think that my mom and stepdad, like, majorly, like, uh, showed me that. Like, Mm -hmm. what that was like in a front row seat, which is great. So enough about me. Tell me about (laughs) you. So, um, uh, Dr. Baker, do you Mm -hmm. like that? Okay, great. You could call me Amy. Well, I don't want to, you know, (laughs) whenever someone's like a doctor, I'm like, we got to give credit where it's due, you know? But if you prefer Amy, I'm down for whatever. Yeah, first names are good. Okay, I love it. Um, So, you know, Amy, I would imagine that, you know, with the divorce rates uh, as high as they are, I feel like this would be a thing. But you don't even have to be divorced necessarily to have this happen because you don't have to be married to have a baby. That's right. And a lot of people who are concerned that alienation is happening don't get divorced because they're like, oh, if this is what my partner's doing and we're still married and there's already the seeds of alienation happening in the family, some people are like, if I divorce this person, I'll never see my kids again. So it does happen in intact families. It happens whether you've been married or not. If you were sharing a child with somebody, you could could lose your child because of alienation. So tell me about how you came to become, because you're you're a developmental psychologist, Correct. which is like, is that a psychologist who like really just focuses on like childhood development or something? Um, but there is such a thing as lifespan development. So it's not strictly related to children, but it's really about the... Um, it's really about doing research and teaching. That That's what a developmental psychologist does. So I'm cool. not a clinical psychologist. I don't do therapy. I just focus on research. And my area is social-emotional development. So it's really what happens to kids in their early childhood and how that affects them through the rest of their life. That's cool. I'm fascinated by the idea. It's kind of Brene Brown or Brownish in the sense that, like, you know, she was, like, a quantitative, like, very, like, numbers-based researcher. But then she wanted to, like, quantify, like, human emotions, like, how happiness and vulnerability and that's interesting for like with with your field because it's like you're a research scientist but you're kind of quantifying like more emotional things which is like in my imagination would be harder to do than like say like a straight up number (laughs) you know well it is uh, there are challenges to it but there are there's a lot of uh, methodology that is available for people interested in studying anything that has to do with emotions including alienation there are measures out there there's uh, systematic ways of Um, conducting research to answer questions. So my first question when I did a research study was, 
Um, are there people out there who identify as having been alienated by a parent when they were a child? And if so, what do they think that did to them and how did they get out of it? Because the number one question that a parent has who's been alienated, who's lost their beloved child, is will my child ever figure it out and come back? Uh, that was a lie. <laughs> yeah. So so what were like, how do you make like a median and a mode and stuff for like that study? Like how did right. you, like so what that, were those ways? So that first study was a qualitative study. So I interviewed 40 people in depth. And um, then I transcribed the interviews, and then I turned that into sort of little chunks of data so that I could say 70% of the people felt that they were depressed as an adult because the, this happened to them as a child. And then I did many, many follow-up studies where I developed measures of parental alienation. So there are 17 behaviors that a parent can engage in that can foster a child's unjustified rejection of the other parent. And then we can say, how many of these did you have in your childhood and how often did they happen and who did it, mom or dad? Okay, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> okay, wait. So there's 17 behaviors that a parent can engage in that would constitute like a behavior like that, that goes towards like parental alienation. Yes. And then parental alienation, okay. I have like 17 questions and I'm going to see if I can, I'm going to see if I can like ask them in like a way that makes sense. Um, my dad dated, so I'm just going to spit it out. My dad dated someone who I feel like did that, mm -hmm. who would like talk a lot of the, she was just, she would, I was like, you know, very young and she would just kind of like get me to like engage in a lot of like, you know, he should this and he should that. And it was just like putting me in a place where like at that age, like I shouldn't have been put in. Mm -hmm. So tell me about like what is like the definition of like parental alienation syndrome. Well, so we don't actually refer to it as a syndrome oh. anymore. Oh, we so hate syndrome. We, we hate syndrome. Yeah, we it's hate the, it. It's the S word. Yeah, blah, blah. You know, oh, I, hate, I, hate, I hate syndromes. They're so gross. Like who even <laughs> says that? I was just making sure that you were like a you know legit it was a doctor test. to make sure Phew, you know. I passed the yeah, test. you did it. You did good. I'll like I'll give you a good kid. That's good. We did good on that. So what's what's so, the definition of parental alienation? <laughs> so it's when a parent engages in behaviors that are likely to foster a child's unjust rejection of the other parent. So if it's so if the if the child should reject their parent, if it is justifiable, then it's not that. Yes. And the truth is, kids rarely reject parents, even if they've beaten them, molested them, burned them. Think of the worst thing possible. In general, kids do not reject a parent. But if they did, we would not say that child was alienated. We would say that child is estranged. So alienation is when a parent manipulates a child to reject a parent who doesn't deserve to be rejected. Got it. Got it. That makes sense. So then, but if some, if a parent engages in one of those 17 behaviors, it doesn't necessarily mean that like parental alienation will happen. It just makes it more like likely. Yes. And those behaviors are damaging to kids, whether or not the kid ultimately says, gee, dad's right. Mom's a terrible person. I never want to see her again. Even if it doesn't go all the way to the final effect, just exposure to those 17 behaviors are a form of child abuse. Well, and one thing, oh, so that's that's kind of a big thing. That's like a big thing. Like that's like a form of like child abuse. Like that is major. So, um, and also, I, I think I've read things before about how like you know so much of our psyches develop between like the ages of like four and six or something. Mm -hmm. Like that's when like a lot of like behavioral stuff is like ingrained because that's like when you're learning how to like you know put together words and like that's how you're learning like to understand stuff and it's kind of like major your first, brain development. Yeah, it's like like mm -hmm. your first time around the rodeo in a lot of ways. <laughs> so it's like if you are getting exposed to those particular behaviors at that time in your life, like if that's like when 
um, separation or divorces or or just the behaviors are happening, I feel like that would really affect like your lifelong ways that you would like bond with people and communicate and Absolutely. trust and stuff. So what are the 17 behaviors? So uh, denigrating the other parent to the child, limiting the parent's access to that child, interfering with communication, you know, not sharing cell phone numbers. Stand by. One question. So limiting parents' access to child. It seems like in so many separation and divorce things, like that would happen inevitably because of like custody things. Because like you have to come to agreement on those things. Like in my family, it was like we did... Um, we like my mom had like primary, but then we would go like every other weekend to my dad's and then every Wednesday, which can I just say every Wednesday is very annoying. If you are like a violin player or if you're like on the swim team or something, who can remember to take everything across town all the time? That's why like I can't ever remember anything. It, divorce is rough on kids. It has nothing to do no- with me. It's not because I'm forgetful and it's not because I get things last minute. That is the truth. No, kids have to go between two homes and the parents get to each have their own home. It's a lot of effort on the, you know, for <sighs> the kids. Right? Uh, if it- anyone out there is listening, that was like a really gorgeous argument for like... That is a very substantive argument for those of us who come from divorced households. Like, you get to have your own house, but, like, here I am, minding my own business, having to go here and go there. Maybe that's why I like to work so much, because I'm just used to, like, going around a lot. Could be. Oh, my God. But also, I'm, like, obsessed with my mom and dad, and they were, like, way cuter apart than they were together. So that's, like, okay for me. Sometimes divorce is the right option. My my um therapist and well like school therapist showed it to me with like two hearts in like on a whiteboard and like if if there was like nasty like black marker love going on between the two red hearts then and then there was like little baby hearts below them which represented the children then like the black marker love would go like down to the kids so you got to like break it up. Can you can you imagine like the visual? <laughs> I like it. So so anyway, so denigrating, but what what do you think about like the whole way that like divorce things work with So limiting contact basically means once you have a schedule, not following the schedule. Oh, sorry, Johnny's sick today. He can't come. We have other plans. He doesn't feel like it. I'm not going to make him go. You know, that is when it becomes alienation, when it's interfering with the A set plan. Yes. Got it. Okay, that makes sense. So then what else? Uh, not allowing the child to think about or talk about or have pictures of the other parent because those are the kinds of things that help kids manage their separation. And they uh, maintain the attachment by being able to look at pictures of somebody. Even adults do it. You know, when I do lectures, I say, raise your hand if you looked at your cell phone, you know, photo album, you know, your camera roll of what your spouse or kids look like in the last 24 hours. Is it because you forgot what they look like? No. It's because something happens in our heart when we look at pictures of people we love. And yet alienating parents make it hard for kids to look at pictures of the other parent. Um, Another example of an alienating behavior is asking the child to keep secrets from the other parent or spy on the other parent. Referring to the other parent by his or her first name. You know, that might seem like, oh, what? that's such a small thing. Who cares what the parents refer to each other as? But if a parent says, you know, instead of Amy's here to pick you, uh, instead of saying mom's here to pick you up to say Amy's outside, it's telling the kids that other person is no more important to you than anybody else you refer to by first name. It's very like subtle, verbal. It's demoting the person in the eyes of the, of the child. And yes, it is subtle. 
but it can but like, be but very ma- powerful. But I said subtle with big eyes. Yes. <laughs> like, but it was like, it's like major subtle. Yes. Yeah. What is it? Was that seven? That, um, that feel- withholding information from the other parent, undermining their authority. This is a big one. So when a, uh, one of the things that alienated, alienated parents say to me when they come to me for coaching is, I have no parental authority left. If I take away my child's cell phone, the other parent just buys them a new one. If I punish them and say they're grounded, the other parent will come and pick them up and take them out for, you know, pizza. Once your parental authority has been eroded, uh, you basically can't parent. It's not that you only want to have authority. You don't want to be an authoritarian dictator, but parents need some authority to say, no, you can't watch the movie until your homework's done. And if the other parent says, oh, you don't have to listen to your mother here, I'm going to stream the movie for you, you're really in a bad place. When you just were uh, saying some of the one thing I heard you say, like if you're doing like working with like parent or like parental coaching or whatever, so you don't like necessarily have like a practice where you're like doing like classic therapy, but as someone who's like a researcher and specializes in this, like you would like work with like a family who's afflicted by this. I work with individuals and on the phone, they'll call me and say, you know, these are the things that are happening. And this is what I were. This is how I responded to my child. My child said X. I said Y. And I'll say, let me tweak that for you. That's my favorite phrase because I don't really want to make people feel badly about themselves. But a lot of this is what we refer to as counterintuitive. What seems like the right thing to do as a parent or a therapist or an attorney or a judge, everybody who touches these families, what seems like the right logical thing to do is actually often unhelpful. And that's for parents, too. If your child says to you, you stole my college money, classic alienation strategy is to tell the child that the other parent did something harmful to you. And then the kid gets all angry. I hate you, mommy. You stole my college money. The logical thing that a parent would naturally do is say, what are you talking about? How dare you say that? Of course I didn't steal your college money. Who do you think I am? Your mo- your father must have told you to say that. Let me show you the bank statement. See, this is this is proof that the college money is still there. None of that works. What does work? Well, I... Oh, my God. Actually, <laughs> wait. That's, like, a really good cliffhanger for, like, you dun, guys... Dun, dun. Yes, just, like, listen to me. Like, give. I'm going to deliver a couple gorgeous commercials for you. It's going to be a little bit of this. It's going to be a little bit of that. So just, like, stand by. We're going to be more with Dr. Amy Baker right after this. Honey, take a moment and just think to yourself, describe yourself in one word. Are you simple, sophisticated, or adventurous? However you dress, the stylist at Stitch Fix can help you find your favorite piece. Stitch Fix is an online personal styling service that delivers your favorite clothing, shoes, and accessories directly to you. First, you complete a style profile, then an expert personal stylist will send you a hand-picked box of items based on your preferences. They even have men's and kids boxes too, which we love, honey. Let's get everyone, uh, you know, taken care of. Plus, I'm sure you can mix and match if they aren't, you know, in the dark ages. What if you want something from both? With no subscription required, you can pick between automatic shipments or only getting new pieces on demand. Shipping, exchanges, and returns are always free. Plus, the $20 styling fee is automatically applied towards anything you keep from your box. We love our Stitch Fix personal stylists. I can customize my own gorgeous preferences, whether it's sizing, brand, or budget. Once you finish the style quiz and set up your ideal number of deliveries, honey, you'll receive everything from jewelry to shoes to bags, all to go with your hand-picked outfits. I love that. Get started today at stitchfix.com slash JVN and get an extra 25% off when you keep everything in your box. That's S-T-I-T-C-H 
fix.com slash JVN for an extra 25% off when you keep everything in your box. Support for today's show comes from Rakuten. Rakuten is a free member-based loyalty program that lets you earn up to 40% cash back at over 2,500 stores. It's perfect for all your back-to-school shopping needs. Get cash back on everything from school supplies to new clothes at some of your favorite retailers like Macy's, Forever 21, Walmart, and more. And don't worry, it's always free. No gimmicks, no points to redeem. Better yet, Rakuten is so simple and easy to use. Simply go to Rakuten.com, click on the retailer you're looking for to activate the cash back, and then shop as normal. You'll earn a percentage of every purchase you make up to 40% cash back. Then, every three months, members will be paid in the form of a check or via PayPal. Sign up today at Rakuten.com. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N.com. If there is something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals, BetterHelp Online Counseling can help. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who are specialized in issues such as depression, anxiety, relationships, trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBTQ matters, grief, self-esteem, and more. Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. And get help at your own time and at your own pace. Anything you share is confidential. And it's so convenient. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions as well as chat and text with your therapist. If for some reason you are not happy with your counselor, though, you can request a new one at any time and for no additional charge. Best of all, it's a truly affordable option. Getting curious with Jonathan Van Ness listeners can get 10% off your first month with the discount code JVN. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com slash JVN. Then simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with the counselor you'll love. That's betterhelp.com slash JVN. You can hear ad-free new episodes of Getting Curious, plus two weekly bonus episodes only on Stitcher Premium. For a free month of Stitcher Premium, go to stitcherpremium.com slash JVN and use promo code JVN. Welcome back to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. Here we are with Dr. Amy Baker. And then I'm going to call you Amy again because we already talked about it. But so so none of that stuff works. You can't really do like a classic judge injury, you know, instant trial. Because why? Does that like legitimize the behavior in the first place? or Because it doesn't help the child feel understood. When a child has an accusation in an alienation situation, what the child is really saying is, don't you love me? It's not and about the money. It's not the, you could show them the bank statement. I guarantee you they will not look at it. It doesn't matter because especially if you show them the bank statement with anger or frustration or depression or anything that's coming from your own place of emotion, you have to start. So there's a five-step process. So the first step is to thank the child and say, you know what? I really appreciate that you told me what's bothering you because that's the only way we can ever work on is- issues in our relationship. I'm not perfect. I always want to know if I do something that hurts your feelings or upsets you. And it's awesome that you came to me. It's so easy to complain about somebody behind their back, right? But you took courage. It took courage for you to look me in the eye and tell me you're upset with me. That's step one. Step two is compassion. And that means paying attention in the moment to the child's emotional state, their facial expression, their body posture, their tone of voice, and then reflecting back to them. You seem so sad when you think about me stealing your college money. I can see it. You look like you're about to cry. Your whole body is sagging. Oh, my gosh, you must be so sad. And really paying attention to the child's emotional state. So you're holding their pain in your, in your heart and in your hands. The third step is 
empathy, where you imagine what it would be like to be a child who thinks their parents stole their college money. And you could start sort of riffing on that and saying, you know, I would be pretty darn mad too if I thought my mother stole my college money. And talking about, I would think, what's the deal, mom? Don't you care about me? So you're really showing the child that you're interested in their felt experience. And then step four, this is the one everybody can't wait for. This is called the minor correction. Mm. So steps one, two, and three, I tell the parents six to seven sentences. You can't just say, thanks, that must suck. I'd be mad too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, You <laughs> right? got to like walk You got to really live it with them and really show the child, I really care about your experience. Step four, one sentence. You know, honey, that didn't actually happen. That's it. And if the... Complaint is subjective, like you never listen to me. You can't tell somebody, you know, honey, that didn't happen. You can say, I thought I was listening. And then step five is you go right back to compassion, but I understand that you think it did, and that's all that matters. Yeah. That is the only way is to go into the child's pain rather than fighting against it, and then they will feel loved. That's good. I, I mean, that's a gorgeous, right? I, you know, I tell people, this is my gift to you. Use it in at the workplace. So if you're a supervisor and, and a, a, you know, your staff person comes to you and says, I don't know what's happening with this project, you should start by saying, thank you for telling me. I yeah. really appreciate it. Like, I think it would, I think these five steps would work, you know, in many, many situations. Yeah, that's hard. You know, when someone comes to talk to you about something like that, it's like, it is really hard not to get defensive. I feel like I deal with that lots of times. Like when someone may have like, you may have done something that, like hurt someone and like you're, you know, it's easy to get defensive with things like that. Totally. And the thing about step two is when you're, de so step one is the gratitude. Step two is paying attention, right, compassionately to the child's felt experience. It's very hard because when we're attacked, our brain goes into, you know, fight or flight or freeze mode. And it's very hard. The compassionate part of our brain is not really active. So I encourage people to take three deep breaths after they do their gratitude to really calm their central nervous system down so that they can open their hearts. Oh my God, that kind of reminds me of that whole thing of like the amygdala or whatever, like the threat thing in our brain. Like if you take like your thumb in the middle of your fist and like wrap around it, it's like your amygdala is like what your thumbnail would be. And that's like the threat perceptor or whatever. Yep, absolutely. And that's what's going bing, 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 yeah, bing. Yeah. When you're being attacked, yeah. especially if your kid's like, you were the worst and I can't believe you did this to me. We want to go into that. How dare you attack me? How dare you say that? Yeah. But these targeted parents who come to me for coaching are highly motivated to but get what this if, advice. Okay, so this is my question about working with one person because I get like how in therapy, like you need, you know, like like I had a therapist for a long time and I really wanted like someone close to me to get help. Um, but the therapist is like, but I'm your therapist, so like we need to like they need to get their own because like that's like it's like too many boundaries for me and like <laughs> you didn't come into like this is the is you know too so you have to like get you know whatever. So um. But what if both parents are engaging in, in those behaviors? You know, like what if both parents are manipulating? Well, this is one piece of the solution. You need a legal solution to. The first thing I tell parents is you have two problems. You have a legal problem and you have a relationship problem. So the legal avenue is one way to address the other parent. They might need sanctions if they keep interfering in your parenting time or maybe there's a transfer of custody. But at the end of the day, you only have control over yourself. You know, so I, I see alienation as sort of a Greek tragedy. So we have the alienated, the alienating parent who's doing these terrible things, and we have the target. But is parent. it possible that both parents can be engaging in alienating behavior, and could both parents kind of be suffering from alienation? And it's possible. It's not. Those aren't the people who come to me. So the people coming, 
Well, but how would you know necessarily? Because like the person who's getting the person who is the alien ador. Like, well, I guess nothing really justifies that. Like, if you got super duper cheated on or if, like, your husband, like, you know, gave you crabs a million times or whatever, like, you're not allowed. Well, I mean, that doesn't that's not an excuse for you to, like. Right. So the thing I say is lousy spouses can still make good parents. Ugh. <laughs> you know what? I'm just glad that I don't have a uterus when it comes to that <laughs> because, like, I just feel like if I could have babies, I would probably alienate my husbands from them. Because I would be so mad if they, like, fucked me over. It's really hard to share your child with another person, even when you're happily married, by the way. The other person doesn't always do what you want them to do, and it's hard. And certainly once there's a divorce, and certainly if the person you feel did you wrong financially or emotionally, it... But here's it's the good, thing. Because the, there's no way to hurt someone more than like to go for their kid. Right. What parents need to understand is that you're hurting your child when you engage in alienation. So one of my pithy little statements is that to turn a child against a parent is to turn a child against himself. Oh, my, which is true because subconsciously kids know that they're essentially 50% of each parent. So if you do turn the kid against the one of the parents, like you're turning them against half of what they know as themselves. That's right. So Absolutely. really that is like, that really is like such a low blow to like let your ego or like one of those voices in your head like tell like to not identify with, like, the part of us that really connects all of us, which is, like, a much more universal, like, more connected love than, like, something that, like... Because even though, like, cheating in a marriage or a relationship where you, like, spare... Or, or, like, a lousy spouse behavior, like, even though that can feel so real, like, that isn't really, like, of our essence. Like, that's not, like, literally... Like, in, like, in like, the namaste, like, yoga part, like, when you, like, finish class, you're like, namaste, like, when you're really <laughs> feeling that, like, that's, like, when... that That's, like, really, like, what the connection is. So to, like, play into, like, the life stuff like as Eckhart Tolle would say like the ego side of things and really like that's so not fair when you think about it because now that I'm thinking that I would have like if I was a lady like manipulate my kids like maybe I'm like no I wouldn't I feel like I would like I would pull Mary Winters like my mom and like not do that yeah because the best parents understand that their kids are separate people and it's like I'm really mad or disappointed or hurt or frustrated at my former spouse but my kid has a different relationship with that person. They get different things out of that relationship. It has a different meaning to them. Where parents get into trouble is when they mix up or conflate their feelings with their child's feelings. Like, I don't like that person anymore, so of course my kids wouldn't because they don't see that their kids are separate people. So so you more primarily, like, kind of work with the person who is, like, more of, like, the air quote, like, victim of the alienation syndrome, but they probably are the victim, but I just, you know, feel bad being, like, judge and jury for, like, a relationship that I'm not, like, privy to, but, um, but, like, in, in your experience, like, what are some things that the, because, like, what if the person has, like, a, you know, come to Jesus, like, slash aha moment, and they're like, oh my gosh, like, I'm totally being, like, an alienator, I don't want to be abusive, and I want to be a better person, like, what, like, how can the alienator get better if they have, like, a realization and they realize that they want to get better? Apologize. (laughs) What they could say is, you know, I had a hard time sharing you, talking to the kids, with your mom or dad not to make themselves into an evil villain because that that's not going to help the kids either. I think what they need to hear is, you know, I made a mistake. I think I led you to believe that your other parent doesn't really love you and that or was, whatever. Or whatever. But it's always that, by the way. It is. It's unloving, unsafe, unavailable. 
the, the message of alienation is always those things. The other parent doesn't love you, isn't safe, isn't available for you. And so if, if, a, if a parent who was engaging in his behaviors realized it, which would be fantastic, that's what they could say to their kid. I made a mistake. I made it hard for you to love and be loved by both of us. And that's what I want. Does that ever happen? Have you ever seen parents like come around? Once. Oh my God. <laughs> but that doesn't mean it doesn't happen. They just maybe aren't How calling me. How long have me. you been doing this? <laughs> um, well, I've been in the field. Let's see. My first book well, came guess... out in 2007. Shnikey. So like in like, so like in like 10 years, like one, and you're like a busy girl. Like you're doing real good. Like you're like one of the before most people up in here. Like, no. It's pretty sad. You know, a lot of these parents have personality disorders. They're narcissistic or <sighs> borderline. This I got to do like an episode on narcissism. You really should. Do I have narcissistic <laughs> traits? I think I probably do. No. I think if you're asking yourself, you probably don't. Really? Yep. Oh, my God. I mean, I'm not diagnosing anybody, but I'm saying that that's the first step to not being a narcissist. Because what about my cats? Like, I don't want them to have like a narcissistic parent or something. But also, I'm like a single parent, so I don't really have to share them. Thank God. My cats. I think they need love and food and water, they, probably. Yeah, well, <laughs> and a little well, catnip. You, okay, here's the other thing. I do feel like, I mean, I know that you're, like, very smart. You're a researching doctor. I get it. But my cats are a little bit, like, they're not the same as other cats. They're very smart. Mm. Like, they're very, very cuddly. They're very smart. They're very sensitive. I, didn't, I undervalued them. You undervalued yeah, them. Like, I'm if sorry. you followed my Insta stories, like, yeah. you would see, like, my, oh, my, do you want, oh, my, I'll show, show you one more time. Picture. Well, no, this, this video is, like, the cute, you guys, if you follow my Instagram, you probably have already seen this video, but, like, this, this, I mean, my cat is, like, next level. Like, look at this baby. This is literally every morning. Oh, my God. Like, that's, that's like, love. how I wake up every morning. Like, this that cat, like, love. he is, like, and if you get on the phone, he'll, like, bat the phone out of you. Oh, my, stop wasting your real estate of minutes on your cat when you have an amazing doctor right here in front of your face. So typically chances aren't great because because sometimes the other parents dealing with like personality disorders, which is like dev. So what are some of like the long-term effects that you've seen kids have if this isn't treated or like is like left unchecked? Like, because couldn't the kid get like PTSD or just like get all sorts of stuff from like... You name it. So there's research that connects alienation to depression to anxiety, symptomatology. What symptomatology? Uh, just sort of like OCD, like just a range of psychiatric symptoms. Um, difficulties becoming self-sufficient because a lot of these targeted parents don't want their kids to succeed and move out of the home and have full lives that where they're not the center of the child's life. So kids who are slated to go to like great colleges and are super smart by the time they're teenagers – they're failing in high school. They're going to community college. No slight to community college, but it's not exactly where that kid could have gone otherwise. A lot of them end up, you know, in menial jobs, living close to or still living with the alienating parent well into adulthood. It's, um, it's really unhealthy. Low self-esteem, difficulties trusting other people, not a surprise because they've been so manipulated You're like and so to. describing this like one family person who I know and it's so sad like like literally as you're describing like I'm, like I'm trying not to make crazy faces because like well into 30s like failure to launch major comma genius like super duper smart this person like it's dev like what happened to this like it's and has a host of the other issues that you're saying like and and but also the alienated parent who is actually kind of a nightmare and I kind of get it. But like, also it's the whole like the ba lousy spouse could be good parents. So it's like that whole thing. But he has like a lot of those like behavioral things. 
like that you were saying. Yeah. Yeah. So you could end up. Oh, yeah. But the alienated parent, what I was going to say, like super, the one who like, because it was like kind of more alienated, also super duper didn't believe in mental health care help. Mm. Whereas, like, the parent who was kind of maybe more of the alienating one, like, would be about it. But, like, it was, like, kind of barking up a tree that was never going to, like, yield any fruit because, like, they would never, like, allow for that. So it was really, like, just a condemned situation. Sounds very complicated. You know, in terms of therapy, a lot of parents call me and they say, I need to get my kid into therapy. This is, you know, I think they're being turned against me. We need to get them into therapy. And sadly, many therapists actually make alienation, not other things. I totally believe in mental health treatment. I very, very strongly believe in it. But if a therapist is not trained as a subspecialist in parental alienation, they are highly, highly, highly likely to make things worse. Ooh. Tell me more. Well, they believe the child. So if a child comes into therapy who's been manipulated and lied to and coached to hate a parent who didn't actually do anything worthy of being hated, the therapist will side with the child against that parent and ultimately become what we refer to as a gatekeeper. These therapists then write letters to the judge and say, little Johnny isn't ready to spend time with his dad, never talking to the dad, never getting the other side of the story. Wow. Um, so that kind of What does a parent do in that matter. situation, the one who's an alienated? You got like a, a separate therapist to do like their own you need investigative? A parental alienation specialist. We need to get mental health professionals trained so they can tell, here's a child who rejects a parent. Are they alienated or estranged? It is possible to tell the difference, but let's tell Because let's go back to that again. Differences between alienated versus estranged. Right. So what they share is a kid who says, I don't want to see my mom or dad. I don't want to have a relationship with that parent. So you can't tell based on that whether the child is alienated, rejecting a parent unjustifiably, or estranged, rejecting a parent for a good reason. Right. So the therapist generally assumes... I must believe the child. If they say they hate mom, they must really hate mom. Mom must deserve it because there's this misconception. If your child is rejecting you, you must have done something, right? And all parents are imperfect. So, yeah, mom wasn't perfect. But the question still is, did mom deserve to be completely rejected by her kid, yes or no? And there's eight behaviors that differentiate alienated from estranged kids. So there is a way to tell the difference, but therapists haven't been trained in this. So they generally don't know. They side with the kid. They become a gatekeeper. And what are the eight things? Worse. Well, so one is called the campaign of denigration. So alienated kids love talking about how just disgusting and horrible their parent is. It's really weird. Like even abused kids don't talk that way. They might admit, yeah, my mom hits me, but they're not like, she's a whore and I hate her and everything she does is bad. Yes. Right? Yeah, because so, like a kid wouldn't even know how to say that sort of. Right. Yeah. So also part of the campaign of denigration is a lack of interest in repairing the relationship. So even kids who've been molested or abused, crack parent who beat them or starved them will say, yeah, I want mom to just go off crack or dad to stop coming into my bedroom at night, but I want a relationship with them. It's only abused kids. If you ask them, I mean, only alienated kids. If you ask them, what could mom do to fix this? Or what could dad do to fix this? The kid will say, nothing. There's nothing. I can never imagine this getting better. That is a hallmark of alienation. So that's the first, and then there's seven more. 
Uh, <laughs> rapid fire. Okay, you remember, rapid yeah. fire. Weak, frivolous, and absurd reason. So if you ask a kid, an alienated kid, why don't you want to see mom or dad? They'll say, oh, her car smells like coffee or the wooden floors in dad's house are scratched. I mean, they're bizarre uh, reasons that are so disproportionate to the level of animosity. Another one is lack of ambivalence. So most people, humans, all humans, have the ability to have mixed feelings about people you love. In fact, the more you love them, the more likely you are to also have some negative feelings because they have the power to hurt, frustrate, and disappoint you. So even abused kids can see good and bad in both parents. They'll say, I love my mom, I just don't like it when she drinks. Or I love my dad, but I don't like it when he loses his temper. Yeah. Alienated kids, angel and devil. One parent is all good, the other parent is all bad. If you interview them, tell me one thing you don't like about the favorite parent, they will say nothing. Everything that parent does is perfect. Got it. Then there's lack of remorse. So alienated kids act as if they don't care that they're hurting the other parent's feeling. And whereas abused kids are still sensitive to the idea that their abusive parent is a human being who deserves to be treated with some attention to their feelings. Um, the next one is reflexive support for the favored parent. So any conflict, no matter what the favored parent says, the alienated kid is going to side with that parent. Again, abused kids sort of look at the facts and are able to hear and see the good and bad in both parents. Uh, borrowed scenarios. That's where alienated kids use phrases and words taken directly out of the mouth or the writings of the favored parent. Daddy touched my vagina. I don't know what it is, but, you know, mommy said he did it. You know, that's an example of a borrowed scenario. Abused kids don't talk that way. The independent thinker phenomenon. That's where alienated kids will say, Dad, m um, Mom had nothing to do with this. I have free will, and I've decided I hate you and never want to see you again. So they go out of their way to protect the other parent and say that they came up with everything themselves, even though clearly they didn't. Right. And then the final one is spread of animosity. So alienated kids will cut off all the friends, families, neighbors, et cetera, anybody attached to or associated with the targeted parent, whereas alienated ki uh, abused kids will not. They will still have relationships with, you know, grandma, grandpa, aunts, un uncles, cousins. Only alienated kids will cut off the entire extended family. You had those like right up. <laughs> I mean, like you guys, she had no list, no nothing. Like she just like, you are so good. You it's got in it. Brain. It's, it's um, in there. I mean, is there anything that like we need to know? Any like resources people could find? Is there like a place where like where you can find like all the like parental alienation specialist therapists? Like I wish <laughs> there is no roster of uh, parental alienation specialists because there's no certification yet to be a parental alienation specialist. So what we have is sort of an informal network. I pretty much know everybody in the field, and everybody knows everybody, and. Uh, you know, we really are working to try to professionalize this because lawyers need parental alienation training because they make a lot of mistakes in the, in the legal venue and trying to protect these parents. They inadvertently do things that entrench the alienation. Therapists, likewise, inadvertently entrench the alienation. So we have a long way to go. Yeah, to get, I mean, getting place, getting these relationships to where they're like secure functioning relationships, but they aren't like romantic anymore or whatever, like that is probably very hard and is like a huge subject that a lot of people probably need a lot of help with. Yes, and I would say knowing what the 17 primary parental alienation strategies are, right? The minute you think you're going to divorce, you know, or separate from the other person, you should know what they are so you don't do them. 
and you know right away if the other person is doing them. The most tragic thing to me is a parent who calls me and says, I haven't talked to my kids in five years, you know, and then they tell me their story. And it's clear that there were red flags all over the place, but the parent doesn't connect the dots and see that these things are all part of a... Much larger issue. Yes. And also it's like that, I mean, which also probably goes to like, Really be sure you want to have kids with that person first and you don't have, like, rose-colored glasses on. Yes. You yes, know? yes. And don't have kids with a narcissist. Don't have kids with a narcissist, honey. Because <laughs> they can't share. We have to do another episode on what narcissism is. Absolutely. Um, where can people find you? Are you on the Twitter? Are you on Instagram? Are you active anywhere? I have a website. I know that's old school. No, it's, it's not. It's amyjlbaker.com. It's just my name. I have eight books on the topic, self-help books, books for kids. Books for therapists. Oh my gosh! It's so, all there. and you can find them all there. Yep, it's all on my website. Well, thank you so much for coming in and giving me some of your amazing time on a Sunday morning. I really appreciate it, and I really appreciate meeting you. It's been my pleasure. You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Benes. My guest this week was Dr. Amy Baker. You'll find links to Dr. Baker's work and socials in the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at JVN. Our theme music is Free by Quinn. Such a good song. And thank you so much to Quinn for letting us use it. Uh, Thanks to Jared O'Connell for engineering this week's episode. And if you enjoy our show, honey, uh, go ahead and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You know, we love a subscription. We're obsessed with that story. Uh, So, you know, subscribe and don't miss on our future episodes because you'll get a cute little notification. It's not that annoying when a new episode comes out. So biggest hug and we'll see you soon on Getting Curious. We get a lot of tweets, honey. We get all the tweets. Some of them are asking for our episodes to be a bit longer. Some of them are for, uh, you know, wanting me to do episodes where people ask me for advice. So I'm setting up a gorgeous voicemail number where you can call with questions, and I'm going to be making a bonus podcast series where I try to answer them. Like... I don't know what's going on with your hair. Like it's, she gets so oily and you just can't get through and you try all the things, but it doesn't work. Or like, I don't know how to exfoliate or like this girl will not pay no attention to me or this guy will not leave me alone. It's kind of like a dear Abby, but she's kind of beauty. And then she's kind of life. And she's kind of, you basically just like ask me stuff, you know, based off of my life experience. Um, am I a doctor? No. Should you take my advice? You be the judge of that. Uh, I'm just making you a gorgeous bonus podcast series that I want you to take part of. So uh, keep your questions as short as possible, but cute. Uh, We want to keep them focused. And as you can see, that is an issue for me. So uh, use a fake name if you want to remain anonymous, or you can uh, tell us your real name if you want to not be anonymous, uh, but make sure you know. Um, And leave your phone number if you're willing to have me call you back. So honey, leave that number. Uh, The show will be coming to Stitcher Premium later this year. The number is 323-606-9351. Again, that's 323-606-9351. And don't worry if you can't remember it. We'll include it in the show's episode description so you can just open your phone and find it there. Problems, advice, or whatever you're curious about, give me a call. 323-606-9351. Hey guys! It's Sashir and Nicole from Best, Best Friends! Our podcast has been out for a few months. If you haven't listened to it, you should. We've already asked the big questions in life. Imagine if we could lay eggs. Okay, sure. (laughs) I guess we... Wouldn't that be funny if you could eat from yourself? No, because that's like cannibalism. Not when you eat yourself. What? 
Mm-hmm. Answer listener questions. Hi, Nicole and Sashir. What happens if Sashir dies first? I mean, I've never thought of it. Well, I would be so sad. <laughs> oh, no, Nicole. Nicole. <laughs> I'm not going to die. Take BuzzFeed quizzes. Let's pick eight foods and we'll give you a sex position to try. Whoa. This is wild. Plus, we bring on other funny best friends to talk about their friendship. I almost want to cry. I feel, I don't know why that really made me feel emotional. But it's because <laughs> it's pure to talk about it friendship. It's nice. It's so nice. It's like so rare to like articulate it, but she's always there for me. Like I, I think she's just somebody who... <laughs> oh, I love this. I love it so much. <laughs> oh my God. It's really sweet. Best Friends with Nicole Byer and Sashir Zameda is new every Wednesday. On Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen. Oh my God, too. It. <laughs>